Okay, let's think for a second. How hospitals get paid. That whole process behind the scenes, taking all the tests and reports and consultations and diagnoses, things that have happened, then putting them through a standard process, checking them all at scale. It's complicated and remarkably important, not just for financial outcomes, but for patient safety and quality of care as well. Well, with me today is Karen Dawson from iMedics. And in this episode, we're talking about revenue cycle management and all that entails, particularly in the Australian healthcare sector. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is Karen Dawson. She's got 30 years of experience as a health information manager. She's all across health information services, coding services, and implementing doctor and specialty liaison programs to make sure accurate information is captured for case mix funding and activity-based funding models. She's passionate about helping healthcare providers improve accuracy, timelines, and efficiency of their revenue cycle and admission to cash processes. Hey, Karen. How are you? Good, thanks, Peter. How good is it sitting across a table? Like no fire alarm or lost baggage or extensive delays sitting on a tarmac for multiple hours will keep us away from having this conversation. So thank you for hanging around and waiting for me to arrive. I know. It's actually finally happened and we're actually in the same room. Which we're is... here. We're here with big intimidating microphones in front of us as well. So that's it. Uh, <laughs> we'll be fine. But look. I only gave a little bit of a high-level overview about you, Karen. Tell us a bit about you and your background. All right. Well, I was a young health information manager at 22 in charge of a department, a specialist teaching hospital in Metro Melbourne. Cool. In the city, actually. And I was a people leader before I really understood the responsibilities that came with that and I soon learnt. The role back then embraced introducing new tech which all now has had an impact on the revenue cycle in hospitals since ABF. Some of that tech was barcoding of medical records, an electronic outpatient booking system, a new patient administration system. All these systems that were new at the time have all contributed to the efficiency of our systems now and very much to revenue cycle I then went on to become the Chief Health Information Manager at a very large tertiary hospital in Melbourne and I was responsible then for three campuses and it was then because activity-based funding or case mix funding as it was um, known then was introduced and because I was responsible for areas such as emergency department reception bed bookings, waiting list, outpatients, as well as health information services, it soon occurred to me that all of these areas working with the clinicians could not only make the patient's journey smoother if we looked at processes and improved them, but we could also have a big impact on the funding of the hospital through better clinical documentation. Mm. It's such a fascinating view back about how much things have changed. You've seen it through that process of evolving from case mix funding and activity-based funding to what it is now. I'm curious to what you're doing now and tell me a bit about iMedics and what that's all about. 
All right. Well, first of all, I met Export My Business uh, about five years ago. I had a revenue assurance auditing business, coding and billing business that they bought. And what we are now doing, I started what was then a new division, Revenue Cycle Management. And that division, we partner with our health services to provide coding audits in both the public and private sector overflow and fully outsourced coding to meet their KPIs. And we have tailored clinical documentation improvement programs. And we're also providing consultancies that review the health services organisational structure and processes so that the end-to-end funding journey is more accurate, timely and complete. And all of these offerings that we have also improve the patient journey. So this is all services to help hospitals make sure the whole funding journey is managed appropriately because it sounds like there's a lot of places for it to go bad. Absolutely. So are these tools that that you create through iMedics help make that more seamless? I'm curious to understand a bit more about that point that you made right at the end on the patient journey side, but you mentioned also this concept of revenue cycle management. Take me on that journey a little bit more. You said it was a new area that you started working on within. All right. So when I originally started my business, activity-based funding or case mix funding had just started in the private sector and had been going for a small amount of time in the public sector. So what happened was the only auditing that was being done, the only review that was being done externally was from the government side, the state government side in the public sector. And in the private sector, where I I did a 10-week project that turned into a 16-year business, the very first week I realised that there was no one looking at the actual processes from pre-admission right through to, you know, the debtor cycle or through to the payment from the health fund. No one was looking at that to A, see if it was accurate and B, see what could be done to improve the processes and, you know, for the people that both the clinicians and for the administrative people. For the clinicians, for example, in, I remember at the time, and, you know, it's still the same now, the clinicians, including, you know, the theatre staff, they're, of course, focusing on the patient, which is as they should be. So we often make them responsible for providing the information, the data that then will contribute to the bill that goes to the health fund. And so these are the people that are focusing on the patient. And it occurred to me very early that we needed to make that easier for them so that their main task, of course, was the patient. And we also needed to make it easier for them because, of course, the fact that the patient was naturally their focus meant that often there were billings being missed, yeah, not quite getting to the biller at the end, mm. or it wasn't quite accurate, which usually resulted in underbilling. It's an interesting space, isn't it? I'm more familiar with the Medicare outpatient side of things, but even as a generalisation, there are many GPs that I know of that would err on the side of perhaps underbilling for the sake of a patient because that's how they feel that they're obliged to do that to help out the patient. But the knock-on effects of that, it's still inaccurate and there's it probably doesn't come out in the wash any better anyway for the patient too. It all comes from the right intentions, but... You're right in terms of the need to separate some responsibilities there to allow clinicians to focus on looking after patients. I think that's really important. 
You mentioned the public and private space. Is there a difference to how that whole revenue cycle management piece works in public and private? Well, for starters, in the public sector, it's funding, whereas in the private sector, it's revenue. So you're being paid by the health funds or some other third-party payer, or in fact, a patient might be self-insured. But yeah, in the public, you're being funded you know, from the public purse, as it were, from the state government. This whole process, is it something that people understand like one area really well? Because it's such a complicated kind of whole process from start to finish. You seem to have a grasp of the whole kind of thing, but I feel like that's not the norm. That like, How does this whole space kind of work? All right. Well, when a patient goes into a hospital, they've already been through a pre-admission process. They then get admitted. That's another process. They'll then have their procedure or they'll be in hospital and have diagnostic tests and so on, medication and so on. At each point that the patient is travelling through, there are different departments and different people that will provide services for them and look after them. And, you know, at the end of that stay, for example, you would hope that there would be what we call in the business a discharge summary, which is a summary of everything that's happened to that patient. Mm -hmm. And the clinician, you know, should provide that. And that then goes to the GP. Now, if that discharge summary is late or doesn't happen, then the patient, you know, might be unwell after their stay and they may end up going to their GP or they may be following up with their GP. And if the GP hasn't got the discharge summary, then they don't know what medication has been changed and so on. And they only have the patient say so or history to rely on. And so they can end up back in the hospital. So that's only one small piece that has to work. Yeah. So talk to me how this all ties back to the funding piece, because that sounded like the patient journey going through. But I guess the undercurrent through all of that is there's transactions being made and and funds required. Yes. So in the public sector, in various states, there's various levels of activity-based funding. Well, no state is absolutely fully activity-based funding for inpatients, but there's varying degrees of it. The reason why I mention the patient journey as well is that at every point there's clinical documentation Mm. and from that clinical documentation, the person at the end, the coder, has to put all of this information together as they work their way through either an electronic medical record or there is still paper around and their hope is that it's all there. So that's why I mention all the different, you all see, the different areas. A, <laughs> the way you said they hope it's all there, it makes it sound like that's not the norm. Well, there's always a small degree, even in the best systems, where you can always do better, always. I think that's a very polite way of saying that, oh, look, if there's going to be lots of different bits of paper flying around and people needing to interpret other codes and diagnoses, the gig of a clinical coder is is a tough one and that it's information that is remarkably important. So they're certainly the unsung heroes when it comes to the administrative oh, side of a hospital. They absolutely are. And it's one of the most complex jobs you can do in terms of requiring a great deal of concentration and passion, frankly. I feel like I need to have like a mini series of uh, the clinical coding community on the show. I'm sure they'd be open to it, but they're probably too busy. So that's uh, something that um, there'll be many a good character in there, I'm sure. So from a hospital side of things, though, whether it's, you know, maybe 
those that are allocating resources or in kind of management responsibilities? Is, is there a good understanding of, you know, that whole revenue cycle management piece? Like, why is it important to have a really good understanding of that? Well, for starters, you want your hospital to be funded no more and no less than what you should have based on the work that you've done for the patient. Hmm. You want it absolutely, and that's what chief executive officers and the senior executives are aiming for. They want absolute accuracy. And of course, Australia as a whole needs accurate data so that we know what the health of our population is and that we can rely on the fact that we're funding it and we're putting services in areas that need them. So then bringing it to iMedics then, as I understand, there's a suite of services or solutions that are offered that kind of speak to these different parts. Tell me a bit about that. Yes. So the services we offer vary from outsourced or overflow coding Mm-hmm. So, you know, we might have a client that has an ongoing need because they just can't keep up with the coding that's required. And we're actually scarce. Coders in this country are quite scarce and particularly highly experienced ones. Mm-hmm. So that's where we come in and we will help a health service either get up to speed and they can, you know, turn us on or off at will. But generally speaking, once we start working for someone you know, we're, yeah. we're there for them in yeah. the background. And also it gives them the, the ability to know that because we're a, a large group, we can supply if, for example, there's an assignment, a coding assignment, we'll put more than one person on it. So there'll be a team of people. So if one person has leave, there'll be someone else to replace them and they don't have to worry. In the auditing space, now, when activity-based funding first started in both sectors, there wasn't the external auditing that there is now. External auditing provides governance over the result and it also gives you the ability to tap into people who have experience who work all over Australia. So in the past, you would get your friend from the hospital colleague down the road to come and maybe audit a few of your records and say, you know, whether or not you've met the Australian coding standards and rules and so on. But we're now so highly complex with our standards and uh, rules and, you know, in the public sector, the state have guidelines too, that it's too complex to have that sort of arrangement. And look, I always advocate that hospitals where possible can have or should have their own internal auditing, but we do come in and we supplement it, but we also are able to give, you know, tips and tricks that, you know, highly experienced people know. Cool. That kind of service sounds like something that would certainly help an area if it was under pressure or, you know, needed to see some improvements in terms of quality and everything, have that peace of mind there from the experts. And we also provide coder education because where I have always seen coding auditing, it's not about, you know, finding errors or fault. It's about training, training and education. So that's our approach with audits. And then, you know, we can provide the training that's required. Often the audits will show the particular areas where clinical documentation, you know, is not there, not complete. Well, it's always there, but it's to what degree is it complete? And the other aspect is, is it in the patient's record in a way that the rules allow it to be coded? That's the other aspect as well. So we've got various tailored programs that will fit a health service. For example, everyone is in a different journey or a different spot in the journey with clinical documentation improvement. 
Some hospitals have been engaging with their clinicians for a long time and, you know, they're well advanced, so they might require a lighter touch perhaps or they want their clinical documentation specialists and coding team trained and educated in some way. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. It sounds like a very hands-on kind of personalised approach that can be provided from you guys and that's quite service-orientated. Is there some technology behind the, the scenes as well that hospitals can use? We are looking at technology to support our services. For example, during COVID, we developed, well, it hasn't gone away, but during the lockdowns, you know, there were lots of problems with hospitals needing coding done, but they were concerned that their coding team and the fact that they had paper records, because mm. there's still a lot of paper records in Australia, a lot particularly in the private sector and the smaller public hospitals because there's significant financial outlay required, you know, for an EMR. So we did develop a solution that allows a hospital to scan records and then the coding solution then allows for us to code the record. But I see that there will be other opportunities as well that we are looking at in the health tech space, particularly with, you know, auditing and the end-to-end funding journey. That's probably a good spot then to ask about like what's on the horizon and what can we look forward to seeing from iMedics over the next 6, 12, 24? Okay, well, we're going to continue with the programs we've got and in particular we are very focused on developing further our clinical documentation improvement programs. We are also developing coder education and we'll be doing that remotely and we also do it in person, but we're developing programs that are done remotely. A lot of our work is is remote. We also are looking at what's going to happen in the space. But before we do that, we're also providing consultancies which examine the organisational structure and the processes in the revenue cycle journey in both public and private hospitals. And this is a space that we're very, very interested in. As for the future in revenue cycle management, the future is assisted coding. There will be the requirement for the quality checking of that. And we see, you know, obviously a big future in artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Lots to look forward to in a remarkably important area and one that you're well across. So I know who to go to in the event I have any queries. What about just people who want to learn a bit more about this space, the revenue cycle management thing or how finance moves across, you know, the hospital space? How can you learn more? Well, I'm perfectly happy to talk to anyone who's interested as most people who know me will know this. Look, I think the way to learn more is in the system as well. So we we need good people. We do need good people. I think that's true for an area or a process or a system to improve. The best way to do it, to understand the problems is from within and then partner with those from outside to be able to solve some problems. So a good understanding and getting in there and and learning the ropes, I think it's a, a really important thing to do. So I'll put the links and everything for iMedics in the show notes of this episode, and I'm sure people can get in touch with Karen through the website if they want to and via your Talking Health Tech directory listing as well for the company too. Look, it's been great to come in and have a chat with you. Thank you so much for inviting me into the iMedics office to have this conversation. Appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Peter. 
Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast player and for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.